You are now listening to the Lifelong Learning Defined Podcast with your host, George Valenzuela. This is education coach George Valenzuela. Welcome to the Lifelong Learning Defined Podcast, where I provide all educators, whether instructional leaders or teachers, tips on how to be their best both personally and professionally. Now let's get into it. In this episode, I'm interviewed by my good friend, Joshua Stamper, on the Aspire Podcast, a Teach Better Team production. We talk about my use of learning walks in my coaching work, my new book on social and emotional learning through Solution Tree, and Instructional Innovation Partners, my new nonprofit with Dr. Sheldon Akins. I hope you love this episode and share it with colleagues and friends. Aspire listeners, I am so excited because I have my good friend, George Venezuela is with me today. He's a educator, a leader, a podcaster, an author. He just does it all. I am so excited to have him back on the show. If you haven't had a chance to listen to his previous episodes, please jump on right now. Listen to those. He always provides such amazing wisdom. George, thank you so much for coming back on the Aspire to Lead podcast. Josh, what's up, man? How are you? <laughs> well, I'm great. Now I get a chance to talk with you. It's been a little bit of time since we've had a chance to chat and I just want to get a little bit of an update on all the things that you're doing because every time I'm on social media, I swear you're somewhere with a district, you're working with educators, you got new books coming out, you're just doing so much. So if you wouldn't mind just sharing with the Aspire listeners about what you're all up to. Well, I think first thing I owe you a congratulations um, on the book. <laughs> I know it's coming up on a year now. Yeah. Um, and I love that book since my name is on the back. Thank you very much for that. Well, I appreciate <laughs> you actually giving me some feedback and being a part of that process. Dude, it was awesome. And also on your new job. So yeah, you got a job in July, right? With Teach Better. And they're a great organization. So congratulations. Dude. Thank you. As far as I go, I'm wrapping up the, the PhD program. I am coaching, as you know, full-time. Yeah. I'm an author. I think I'm on the fourth book now. I'm writing a book through Corwin. It's on PBL and SEL. I wrapped up a book with um, Solution Tree, which will be out in October. Yeah. That's on SEL. And I did the environmental science and PBL book last year through through ISTE. And of course, wrap up robotics, which we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. So I'm all over, man. I am just really loving this new journey I'm on and and just everything I'm doing. That's awesome. All right. So George, I want to dive into that because that is so much of your world now is getting into schools and with your action research. So you know, will you just break that down for me as far as what that looks like and how you support schools? Yeah. So for the audience out there, there's an article on Edutopia. It's called Five Steps to Instructional Innovation. And so my um, coaching model is broken down there. But I want to back up a little bit and talk about my leadership role back in, I want to say 2007 is when I started at Richmond City Public Schools. And I know we talked about that last time, but there's something we didn't really talk about on the first episode. And it was this. I was in central office and I was over STEM, over computer science, but our director for CNI made sure that every nine weeks, so four times a year, we were going into all 50 schools. And so what that means is this, we were doing learning walks. And in those learning walks, we would see instruction focus first on tier one, Mm -hmm. which is the entire group message. And then looking at the tiered interventions, um, two and three. I got to learn instruction on a very deep level very early on, but we got to support our teachers and our students because we got to know them and know where they were instructionally. So as a result, around 2010, we got all 50 schools accredited, fully accredited. 
And it was learning walks, man. It was just basically learning our teachers and personalizing all our interventions. And so as I started my business, initially, it wasn't computer science and STEM. But as I got into conversations with a lot of superintendents, they were like, George, like you understand instruction on a deep level. So how can we improve our instruction? And so I just really developed a model where first step is doing an intake call and just really treating it as qualitative research where I'm writing down what they're saying, what the needs are. And I'm taking that into account, but our second step is the learning walks. And so when we bring in all the instructional leaders and they see what's happening and we see instruction in real time, then when we go back into a data debrief, which is step three, then we can really celebrate our glows, like all the good things, but then look at the areas of you know growth. And so if I'm called in and they want to do PBL, but their tier one instruction isn't right, then we know that we have to realign and you know focus there first. Once we look at the data and we agree that we're all seeing and seeing the same thing, then I would develop a PD solution based on those actual instructional needs. And we always do three interventions. One is for the administrators or for the coaches who have to support this. Two is for beginning teachers. And three are for veteran teachers. Everyone needs the same message, but maybe not in the same way. Yep. And if a lot of work is needed, then we'll actually do this in several milestones in like one year, three years, or four years, yeah. or five sometimes. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> a little differentiation for everybody on the campus. And that's why you'll see me in so many different schools and writing about so many different things or, you know, coaching on them is because we're learning them through action research. And that's how knowledge is, is learned. Like, like you basically take whatever's been done about a topic, whether it's computer science, it's STEM, it's SCL, it's tiered instruction. You basically take what's already been done, which is your lit review, right? Mm -hmm. and they already have a model, a framework, a system, something that's already been developed. And so you and your small teaching team or admin team, you basically take this and you tweak it, adapt it, you, you know, collect data and you learn from all your mistakes, but then you make it better. And so after four or five, six months of doing that on one topic, you would typically have a framework, lots of blog articles, right? <laughs> and so that's how it works. Sure. So I want to go back to what you're talking about with the learning walks because that, that piqued my interest. I, I was thinking about my own journey as an administrator and trying to get into classrooms. Yeah. And that was always a frustration for myself of not being able to spend as much time as possible in there. But, you know, when my time was devoted to the classroom, trying to make it as efficient as possible. So what were some things that you did within that process to make sure that you were being successful with potentially a, a small amount of time? What we basically do is this, is we have to build our trust with our teachers, right? So when we have a leadership or an instructional leadership team, we make sure that, you know, there are administrators, there are some lead teachers, lead coaches, but we also have to sprinkle in a few of the teachers. And here's the reason why. Never make any decision about teachers or talk about teachers if they're not in the room represented somehow. Right. And I've got four rules, right? First rule is we let them know we're coming. Second rule, we don't put their name on, on any document. 
Third rule is we're looking only at instruction. And fourth, no more than 10 minutes. And when you let them know up front what's happening and we're improving instruction, and then we have a problem statement that we develop after doing the learning walk, then that makes it to action research, right? Yeah. So problem statement is basically this. It's where we are, where we want to go, and how we think that we're actually going to get there. And so that's really, I think, how all PD should be developed, yeah. right? Now, if you're at a conference, it's a different story. But if a school or a district is paying a lot of money for any type of PD, you have to do the learning walks first. I mean, in my opinion, yeah. I just don't see how one message fits everyone. Right. There. I love it. So let's talk about the uh, data piece because you are one of action research, but you also are data driven and in that decision making. So, you know, for someone that comes in, let's say they go by those four rules, they're spending their 10 minutes within the classroom, looking at instruction only, you know, what are some data pieces that they should be looking at to make sure that, you know, they are using that moving forward for potentially PD or some other decision-making? I have a document and there's one that I use um, with my schools, but you know, all schools have their own, right? But I'm basically looking at, I saw evidence. (laughs) I saw that instruction is aligned, that the learning goals are on the board and the learning goals are being articulated in the mini lesson. And if we don't arrive in the mini lesson, then we're seeing the follow through of the goal, the learning goal, the I can statement or the students will be able to in order to that we're seeing the follow through in the work of the kids. Either there's a teacher that is standing up in front of the room and they are delivering a whole group message, or you've got young people working and they're circling, like it's one or the other, right? Or there's a presentation happening. But either way, we wanna make sure that the learning goal of that day, of that lesson, of the project is what's being uplifted either by young people or by the teacher. And so we have that one field I saw. Another field is I wonder if something is not making sense, right? We don't want to assume, right? So I wonder means I need some clarity here. And that is one of the points that we discuss later on in our data debrief. And then finally, I have, here's how I think we can improve this, make it better. And so that is what the conversation is afterwards. And everyone that's on that small teaching team, we make sure that everyone is seeing and saying the same things. Now, other school districts use high yielding instructional strategies. And so they want to see evidence of that. So I love that you talked about the the data debrief, right? So that's sometimes a lot of the difficult piece also is you're able to get into a classroom, potentially have that time to do that, but then also the immediate feedback to the teacher that you're actually observing and taking data on, you know, what are some best practices or strategies that you like to do as far as providing that data to make sure that they're feeling successful in that process? Yeah. So there's five things that I think are important that in 15 years of doing learning walks, I've seen that there's five things that very confident teachers all have in common or a variation thereof. And so the first thing is being able to manage through a crisis and, you know, pivot. And I think we all know about that. So there's no need to talk about that. Number two is just having a standards aligned and, you know, competency-based aligned lesson unit that is research-based, 
and that is personalized for who's in the room. Three is just a toolbox of five to six high yielding strategies that are gonna focus on two things, student engagement and achievement. There's a strong correlation there in the research and you can't have one without the other. And then four is having a system or uh, some metrics, right? Of how they are assessing or monitoring student engagement and achievement. And then five is monitoring their own impact. How are they doing as, as a teacher? And I think that if educators, if we focus on those five things at a baseline, not only do you have your tier one instruction straight, but you have the foundation for anything else you want to do. And I think that's very important. I want to talk about another topic that you're passionate about, which is the social emotional learning aspect of things. Uh Because I know some people like to put SEL in a box as a standalone. (laughs) And yeah. instruction is over here and, and the two don't match up. And, you know, sometimes it's even, oh, I don't have enough time to really work on the social emotional learning things because I have to really focus on the instruction, the assessment piece of, of the job. So when yeah. folks try and put things in a box, is that something that you speak on? And is there a blend or a balance that should be occurring in the classroom? All right. So let's back up a little bit, right? Yeah. So my introduction to SEL was really just emotional intelligence. And back in 2018, 2019, I was going through something like with my own children. And I realized that I needed some help. And I was reading an article and it was by Dr. Travis Bradbury. And in the article, two words just, you know, jumped out at me, which is emotional intelligence, which if you think about it now, that's the result of SEL. If you're doing social emotional learning, then the whole goal is that you develop your EQ skills. I started there and I just worked on myself. Now, if someone would have told me (laughs) that we'd be doing workshops on this stuff, I would have never, ever believed them. But I had a client in North Carolina, Hereford County Public Schools, Dr. William Wright's superintendent, and Tammy Ward is the now superintendent, but she was assistant superintendent. And I want to say in April... 2020 is when she showed me the DPI NC state aligned framework for online learning and SEL was on the list. And she's like, George, we have to figure this out. And so action research, what's been done? Well, you know, Castle has, has a framework. And when I looked at it, it's got five competencies. Four of the competencies were in emotional intelligence um, 2.0 in the book. So it's basically very aligned. And so we just, you know, did the action research. We sat down and I treated it as a study where she told me and some of the admin and some of the teachers what we need to do. And their thing was this. We've got young people that were relying on food from our schools. Mm -hmm. And so we decided, well, we can't teach now. We have to go drop off the food. Some young people had no Wi-Fi. And so what we did was this. Once we got them all online, then our focus was this. How do we activate SEL, making them emotionally ready to do the work without losing instructional focus? And so I'm not sure if you saw, but there's an article I have out there where we talk about an emotions planner. And so Mrs. Ward, you know, that was her idea. I showed her a picture 
And it's where you have a situation that is triggering you and you try to figure out what's happening internally, how you're feeling, and then finding a strategy. And so I went ahead, looked at the research, found that there's a Plutchix wheel that's got eight primary emotions and all the secondary ones. And so we made a planner. The planner was just for, hey, when something happens. What I didn't know at the time was that that became like the first step of the framework. Mm. Now, a lot happened after that, you know, George Floyd and things like that. And so we had teachers that would unpack that. And so the superintendent, um, Dr. Wright, was like, hey, I think we need to examine what we believe about the kids and what we believe about each other. So that's when we looked at, you know, number two, you know, assessing what you believe. And then third, I just knew this from all the work I had already been doing is that you have to also improve your knowledge of students. You have to know young people, not just as learners, but you have to know them as individuals, which means that you have to learn about what their interests, what their goals and their assets are in tandem with their academic, their um, career and their SEL needs. There's three types of learning in school. There's academic, there's career and there's SEL. Those are like the three buckets I've seen. And you have to know those things and know them as people in order to make the sound instructional decisions, but also to form relationships, which you talk a lot about empathy. And so the fourth step is that now that we know all this, we know what EQ is, we know what we believe about the kids and our colleagues, and we know them as people and as learners, now we can activate SEL in our lessons as needed. Some young people have trauma. And so you got to be trauma informed so that you don't re-traumatize them and that you help and meet them where they are. Some young people might have an argument, might have a fight. And so as a teacher, I might have to restore justice at times. All of these things are just in my action research and in my book and in my work with schools is just updating our SEL plans with the diverse needs of our kids. Right. So it's not becoming a complete, you know, I know all this different information. No, it is you are using what we have discovered that works in a situation. Right. And we have some basic practices. They're not the only practices in the world, but they're enough to really get someone started. You got a great voice and great message. And um, I, I just love everything that you're doing, not only on the podcast, but with your books too. But I want to talk about another exciting project you got going on with a, a good friend of the Aspire podcast, Sheldon Aiken. So you guys are putting together something special, really. It's called Instructional Innovation Partners. So will you just share with the listeners what that project's about? Instructional Innovation Partners is a nonprofit. And for a long time now, I've been being asked by a lot of other consultants or folks that want to be consultants, hey, George, how do I do what you do? The thing is this, not everyone is that hybrid of entrepreneur, education coach, author, podcast host, like all these different things, right? Not many people have all these different things that they've worked on, but they have other talents, right? They have a, like, you know, certain pieces of those. I've always felt like what I do is good for George. It's good for who I'm working with, but it's good for me as far as my business. But how can I help other people improve theirs? When you have an LLC or, or you have a corporation, you can't really get like, like, you know, grant funded. And so someone explained to me that if you get a nonprofit, 
first um, you can qualify for grants and then you can write them and you can basically write folks in that you want to work with. Right. I just thought, hey, I've got a coaching model, I have a PBL model, SEL, I have all these different models. And how amazing would that be if I can bring in a couple of other people into one district with me and show them what to do? Not only are all the teachers benefiting, all the admin benefiting, but now this person is benefiting that they're improving their own business. Right. I met Sheldon, the Dr. Akins, I, I should say. I <laughs> met him in, in Chicago. I was at a conference and I heard a lot about him. I've seen him online and I meet an amazing guy. And he came and sat front row in my thing. And afterwards, like we had a conversation and we had dinner. And it turns out that he wants to help people too as well. Because when you have a nonprofit, you're helping more than you're actually getting. Yep, That's the main thing. A lot of people don't know that. It's about helping other people. And so we sat down, man, and we put it all together. Um, and we got status. And so now we're working on what we have to work on so we can help other people. Kudos to you and, and to Dr. Sheldon Akins. You guys are fantastic, and uh, I'm just so excited to see what will come of this and how many people will be helped, not only folks that are looking to consult, but then also the schools that get those services also. And we're coming toward the end of our show, and I love asking this question to all my guests, and I've asked you this before. You know, For those who are aspiring to be leaders, or maybe they're current leaders now, if there's something they can do tomorrow or next week to enhance their leadership journey, what would you advise them to do? All right, so let's tie it back to learning walks. Do it. (laughs) Since we talked about that. So the classroom is the incubator for whatever is needed in a specific school and by the specific kids and by that teacher, an administrator, a teacher leader, a coach, a lead teacher will never have their finger on the pulse of what's needed in that school or in that classroom if they're not visiting the classrooms, if they're not doing the learning walks, if they're not listening to their teachers Teachers are the most prominent experts of the kids. And so you need to be listening to our teachers before making decisions about those teachers. So true. Well, George, once again, you've provided so much wisdom in this episode. And if someone is looking to connect with you on social media, how may they do that? George does PBL, that's J-O-R-G-E, on all the platforms. All the platforms. <laughs> Just find them, yeah, like it's that easy, and at lifelonglearningdefined.com. I mean, when he says every social media platform, George means it. I mean, the man is even on TikTok. <laughs> oh, my God. I still don't know what to do with that. So I met someone, it's Jen Manley. I yeah. met her in, in Chicago last week, and she said, if you post on TikTok for 30 days straight, yep. the algorithm's going to do something. So... I'm trying it out. Not sure if it works, but I'm trying it out. <laughs> hey, if she said it, I, I would guess that she's you know very wise in that statement. So <laughs> yeah, I've played with it a little bit myself, but I, I have not been diligent enough um, to do anything with it. But for everyone that's listening, please check out the show notes because all of those social media links, but then also links to his books, to his services. I mean, everything that George is doing, I'm going to try and, and put in the show notes for you. Uh, make sure that you're bringing them out to your district, to your school. I assure you that his things that he's created for all the different topics we've talked about, the frameworks do a lot of good for not only the structure of the school, but for the students. And I just appreciate you so much, George, and what you do for all of our educators and our leaders and for coming onto the Aspire to Lead podcast once again. Thank you so much, bro.
I appreciate you, Josh. Thank you for listening to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast with George Valenzuela.